Welcome back to our study of the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the first petition, the first request of the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, but before we get started, if you are watching this, I need to say, yes, it's still me, uh, even without the beard. Uh, some of you will know that uh, the Christian school that I teach at uh, part-time, teach Bible there, Full Armor Christian Academy, was uh, raising money this spring, and if they met a certain threshold in their fundraiser, I had agreed to let them shave my beard, and uh, by the grace of God, they did meet uh, that threshold, and uh, we're grateful to God for that, and so they shaved my beard at uh, school this week, and so I'm down to nothing, but I'm growing it back. So um, it is me, and hopefully uh, you can look beyond the uh, strange look of my face uh, as we enjoy this um, study together. So again, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, last time we talked about the fact that Jesus gave us this prayer both as a model to uh, model our own prayers after. He says, pray then like this in Matthew 6, 9. And also, um, when he gives us this prayer in Luke chapter 11, in response to the, G uh, to the disciples' request to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he says, um, pray this, right? So it's also a prayer that we should pray. We should use these words. And so that was our focus last time. Um, and I encourage you to try to memorize this prayer if you don't already have it memorized and to use this prayer either to pray these words or to uh, model your own prayers on these words. Um, and uh, since we did that, since I encouraged you to do that last week, um, I don't know that I have used this prayer every day, but I know I've used it more often. Um, I've been more intentional about uh, shaping my prayers around this prayer, and I have already noticed it enriching, enriching my own prayers. And uh, hopefully if you've been trying that, you've found the same thing as well. But today we're going to look at Matthew 6 verse 9 and the first uh, verse, the, or not the first verse, but the first part of the Lord's Prayer, the first request. And it begins, even before we get to the request, with this statement, Our Father in Heaven. Right? And then the request part that we'll get to momentarily is, Hallowed be your name. Let's talk first about what it means for Jesus to teach us to pray by saying, Our Father in Heaven. Right, the first word in our English translations is the word our. Right? What's the significance of that word? I mean, it's just one word. We might pass over it quickly. But notice it's not the word my, my Father in heaven, but it's the word our, which is a plural, right? It's a corporate word. It's a word that uh, we might use if we were praying together in church, right? Our Father in heaven. And so what that means when Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, is that he's encouraging us to pray together. He's encouraging Christians, he's encouraging his disciples to pray corporately or congregationally, to pray as a group. Now it's important for us to pray individually, right? That's good too, obviously. But here, Jesus is not giving us a prayer to pray alone, though we can pray it alone, right? But he is giving us a prayer that's meant to be prayed together. It's meant to be prayed with other Christians. 
And this is important for a couple of reasons. One reason is it reminds us that the Christian life is not a solitary affair. Right? Being a Christian is not something we do all by ourselves and then we go to church um, to sort of get a little boost if we need it, but mostly our Christian life is a solitary thing. No, the Christian life is something meant to be lived together. Right? We're meant to pray together. We're meant to worship together. We're meant to encourage one another. We're meant to gather together. Right? And obviously there are seasons and circumstances where that's more difficult. Um, but when possible, right, the ideal is that we gather together regularly and that there is a corporate or community aspect to our life as Christians, that we pray not only for one another, but also with one another. Right? Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. Right, so that's the first thing we notice. The second thing, the second word in our translations, right, is the first word in, in the original of, of Matthew's gospel, but in our translations, it's the second word, the word Father. Our Father. What is the significance of Jesus teaching us to pray our Father? Well, first of all, we need to remind ourselves that not everyone has the privilege of calling God Father. Sometimes we say things like, all of us are God's children. And that's true if we mean by that, that all of us were created by one and the same God. And that's certainly true. But the way the Bible uses the language of children of God or sons of God is not to refer to everybody whom God has made, but to refer to all those whom God has saved. So when to call God Father is a privilege that belongs to those who have become God's children by His grace, right? By His saving grace. So for example, in Romans 8.15, Paul says, you have received the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, we're not children of God by nature, by creation, right? We are His creatures by nature, but we become His children by adoption. Nobody is born into God's family by their natural birth. Right? We are born into God's family by our spiritual birth, the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. You must be born again. When we're born again, that's when we're born into God's family and we become his children. And that is by adoption. Right, So we have the spirit of adoption, Paul says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We call upon God as our Father because He has adopted us and given us His Spirit, the Spirit of adoption. And it's the Holy Spirit in us who enables us not just to say the words, you know, our Father or Abba, Father, but to really genuinely pray from the heart, Abba, Father, or our Father. We know that we are now your children because of your Spirit whom you've given us. Right? And similarly, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, John says, To all who did receive him, he's just been talking about the fact that not everyone received him, but he says, To all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, 
being a child of God is, is not natural. It's not something that's true of everybody. It's something that's supernatural, so to speak. It's a gift of God, a gift of His grace. It belongs to those who have received Christ, who have believed in Jesus. To them, God gives the right to be children of God. And that means when we pray our Father, one of the things we are doing is we are reminding ourselves of the gospel. We are reminding ourselves that God has saved us, that God sent his son so that we might become his lowercase s sons, right? Jesus is the son, capital S. He's the eternal son, the only begotten son of God, but we are his adopted sons, lowercase s, adopted into his family, um, by, again, by grace through faith in Christ. So it's to remind us of the gospel, of God's grace toward us, God's love for us, that God um, has brought us into his family, right? He's, he's claimed us as his own. So it reminds us of the gospel. And um, there are a couple of, of uh, quotes that I want to share with you about the significance of calling upon God as Father. Both of them come from uh, great teachers from church history. One is a man named John Bunyan. You might know him as the author of Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan was a Baptist. Um, he suffered for his faith. Uh, he was a great writer. He didn't only write Pilgrim's Progress, um, though that's his most famous work. Um, and he had this to say about what it means to call on God Father. He says, that one word, meaning the word Father, that one word spoken in faith is better than a thousand prayers, as men call them, written and read in a formal, cold, lukewarm way. Now, we talked about the fact that it's not automatically bad, right, to pray the words of a prayer that we've been given, because Jesus says in Luke 11, pray this, right? Pray these words, say this, right? Um, but what Bunyan is saying is, look, there are plenty of people who they just read prayers off of a sheet of paper, or maybe it's even a prayer from the Bible, and they're just reading it from the Bible, but there's no heart in it. They don't mean it. They're lukewarm, they're formal, they're cold. They're just sort of reciting the words. And perhaps some of you have been um, in situations or have found your, yourself doing that, right? Where you're just sort of mumbling the words that you normally say when you pray, you're not really thinking about it. Bunyan is saying, better than a thousand of those prayers that our heart is not really in is for us to just say with the heart, Father. That alone, he says, is a better prayer than a thousand fancy prayers we could say that we don't really mean. Right? So that's worth uh, remembering and keeping in mind. Right? Jesus is not concerned as much with how many words that we say. Um, in fact, he says that earlier, just before this passage on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Um, the Lord's Prayer begins in verse 9, but in verse 7 he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And then verse 8, he says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In other words, don't try to impress God, so to speak, with how many words you can pile up. Right? The Lord's Prayer, if you look at it on the page, it's short. It does not take you very long to pray this prayer. It's not the number of words that you say. 
right? God already knows what you're going to say. He already knows what you need before you ask him, Jesus says. Right? So it's not about how many fancy phrases you can say, but part of what makes um, prayer genuine, Bunyan is arguing, is that we mean it, right? That we pray it from the heart. So that's important. And then there's another quote. This one's from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, of course, was one of the great uh, figures of the Reformation, uh, along with John Calvin and some others. And uh, here's what Luther said. And I'm quoting from a book, and then they're going to quote Luther. Um, this book says, Luther regarded the simple utterance, our Father, and then here's the quote from Luther, to be the best prayer, for then the heart says more than the lips. It's just, it, it took me a moment to think about what he means by that last part, right? When we say our Father, right? Luther says, again, quoting him, he considers that, he said that, is, um, that to be the best prayer, for then the heart says more than the lips. Because you're only saying a couple of words, our Father. But if you know and, and stop to ponder what that means as you're praying it, Luther says, essentially, you're praying volumes, right? You're praying more than just, you know, a couple of words. As we said before, you're reminding yourself of the gospel, of God's grace, of the gift of God's Son, of His uh, adoption, and the gift of the Spirit. And all these things, right, are maybe welling up in our heart as we are simply beginning our prayer by saying, Father, I'm so glad, so grateful it's such a gift that I can call you Father. Now, both of those quotes come from a really excellent book called Taking Hold on God. And if you, if you want to read a book on prayer, um, this, this book, so you know if it's the kind of book that you might like or not, this book, what it does is um, most of the chapters look at a different figure from church history, like John Bunyan, Luther, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Matthew Henry, and there are some others. Um, and each chapter basically is saying, what's something we can learn from this great teacher uh, about prayer? What's something we can learn from them about how we should pray or what we should pray or how we should approach prayer or whatever. And I remember, it's been years ago since I read this book, but it's one that has stuck with me. And I remember um, in the season when I was reading this book, I would occasionally walk from the church to the parsonage and back and forth. And I remember just walking down uh, the little side road that goes most of the way to the house from, from here at the church, uh, walking down that road, reading this book, um, thinking about what some of the, the greatest teachers God has gifted the church with, what those men had to say about prayer and, and learning from them. And so if that sounds interesting to you, I would commend this book to you, Taking Hold of God. Uh, the subtitle is Reformed and Puritan Perspectives on Prayer. So that's just there if you're interested in that. That's where both of those quotes came from. Now, the next thing about calling God Father is this. When we pray to God as our Father, that should in encourage us, right, to, um, well, it should encourage us to pray, right? If we think about what are we going to pray, what are we going to say, thinking about the fact that we call on God as our Father, that should encourage us to pray because of what Jesus says about God as a Father in, in Matthew chapter 7. So just one chapter over, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. We are familiar with those verses, right? 
Jesus explains, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now here's why he says that. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus says, you know, ask, seek, knock, and it'll be opened, it'll be given to you. And then he says, think about what you are like as a father. You're sinful, right? And yet, if your son asks you for something, you don't give him something bad in response to that, right? If he asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. If he asks for fish, you don't give him a serpent, right? And so Jesus says, if you who are evil give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who's good, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him, Jesus says. So remember, when you approach God as Father, you're approaching someone who loves you, who cares for you, who wants what is best for you, and has the power to give you what is good. So reminding ourselves in our prayer that God is our Father ought to encourage us to pray. Now, what is the actual request that we are being given here, that we're being instructed to pray here? The first request is, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, again, in our English translations, that might sound like a statement, a statement of fact, right? Your name is hallowed. But, in the original, that's just part of how it's translated. In, in the original, um, which you know, most of us don't get to look at that, but in the original, right, that is a request. It's a, it's a command, what, what uh, we call in grammar an imperative, and it's the same kind of verb as we find in the phrase, your kingdom come, right, your will be done. Uh, there are six of these requests in the Lord's Prayer, right? And this is the first one, right? So they're all commands, and in, in prayer, a command is a request, right? We're not commanding God to do something, even though we use the form of a command, right? For example, if we pray, um, God, make us like Jesus. Well, that's worded like a command, but we're not commanding God to do that. We're saying, God, would you please make us like Jesus, right? Or, or grow us in grace, right? Grow us in humility. Well, that's worded like a command, but we don't mean it as, you know, God, you have to do this. We mean it as, God, would you do this? All right, so these are all commands. They're all imperatives. And so when, when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, That's not saying that we should pray and say, God, you are great. God, you are holy. God, you are honored. We can and should pray that, right? But that's not what this is saying. This is saying we should pray, God, cause your name to be hallowed. The word hallowed means something like holy, right? Sanctified, honored, those kinds of things, right? So what he's teaching us to pray is, God, we want your name to be honored. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be revered, right? And this ties into the the last part of that first phrase, our Father in heaven, 
Right? When we pray to God calling Him our Father, that, that word Father reminds us of the, the closeness, the fellowship, the intimacy we have with God, the, the love He has for us. Right? But when we remind ourselves that our Father is in heaven, that's a reminder that the Father who is near to us is also in some sense, separate from us, right? He's God and we're not. We're still creatures, though we're His children, and He loves us and He's near to us. We still need to revere Him and honor Him and remember that He's holy and worthy of our glory and honor and praise. He's not our buddy. He's our Father who's in heaven. And so we're to pray and ask God, to cause His name to be glorified. And that, of course, should be true in our own lives, and we want that to be true in the the world. We want it to be true in our church. We want it to be true in our families, in our culture, right, in our country. God, cause Your name to be honored. Because the truth of the matter is, often God's name is not honored. His, His name is misused and abused. Right? His character is ignored and sometimes even sneered at. Right? People blaspheme God. People mock God. People ignore God. But God is to be honored. God is to be revered. God is to be recognized as holy and great and glorious and good and the source of every good thing that we have. And so the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray is to say, Father, we, we recognize your name is not honored like it should be. But we want it to be. We want to honor your name. And we want others to honor your name. Cause your name to be honored. Cause your name to be glorified. Now, one more thing I want to say about this before we close. It's significant that this is the first request Jesus gives us. It's really important that we have daily bread, right? It's hard to live for long without food, but the request for daily bread is not the first request. It's really important that we have our sins forgiven. We can't be in fellowship with God, right? If we don't have forgiveness of sins, we, we can't have a relationship with God, right? If our sins aren't forgiven. And having and asking forgiveness of sin regularly is part of our um, you know ongoing ongoing relationship with God and, and and having fellowship with God. That's not the first request either. The first thing Jesus teaches us to pray for is for God to be honored. It's not for anything to do with ourselves, other than that we would honor God, which is a reminder to us about what is most important, and what is most important is not us. It's not me, and it's not you. What's most important is God. God is worthy of the most attention. God is worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. God alone is worthy of all of our worship. And the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray is not about ourselves. He'll get to that later. The first thing Jesus teaches us to pray is about God. Now, that's convicting and challenging if we stop to think about it. Because often our prayers start with us. And that's not to say that there should never be a time when the first thing we pray is to ask for a need. And The Bible doesn't say you should never ever do that. But, in giving us a model here for how we should pray, it is significant 
that Jesus doesn't get to our needs until the fourth request. The first three requests are about God. And so when we pray, right, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we're not coming to God or ought not to be coming to God merely to pray for ourselves and our needs or the needs of other people, as important as that is. One of the things, one of the chief things, the first half of the Lord's Prayer teaches us what we ought to be praying for is things having to do with God. And the first thing we ought to pray for is for God to be honored the way He deserves to be honored. For God to be glorified with the glory that He deserves to receive from His creation. So let the Lord's Prayer shape the way that you pray. Let it remind you that if you are a Christian, you have the privilege of calling God Father with all that that means. Right? With all the love and mercy and grace, with all the sacrifice of God's own Son that it took to make you a son who could call him Father, call God Father. And second, let the Lord's Prayer remind you of what is most important in the world. Not me and not you but God and His glory. Amen.